Welcome to the Caring Congregation podcast, where we seek to educate and equip pastors, congregational care ministers, or CCMs for short, and church laity to create a culture of care and cultivate the care that's already existing in your church and community. I'm Reverend Joy Dister Dominguez, your host and producer of this podcast. In season five, we're talking all about the intersection of care and social justice. It's so important to me that in this season, we also include um, a podcast with a deacon of the United Methodist Church. And I couldn't think of anyone better than my good friend, Reverend Aaron Sloan Jackson. Reverend Aaron is an associate pastor of missions and has been on staff at New World United Methodist Church in Arlington, Texas, since September of 2014. She has a Bachelor of Business Administration from Baylor University in Texas and a Master's of Arts in Ministry from SMU Perkins School of Theology in Dallas, Texas, and United Methodist Deacon and serves as Chair of the Order of Deacons for the Central Texas Conference in Youth Ministry, Spiritual Direction, and Coaching, and has been serving in ministry in various capacities for over 20 years. Reverend Aaron's first job was in telephone sales for Olin Mills Studios. Her favorite food is fresh fruit and her favorite movie and TV shows are Office Space, Brooklyn Nine-Nine, The Office, This Is Us, and whatever soccer game is on TV. Reverend Aaron says... The things that bring her the greatest joy are spending time with her family around the dinner table, watching her kids play sports, and also keeping active by walking, cycling, and doing yoga. Her favorite Bible verse is Micah 6, 8. God has told you what is good and what the Lord requires of you to do justice, to embrace faithful love, and walk humbly with your God. Reverend Aaron has been married to her husband, Dennis, who is also really awesome (laughs) for almost 25 years and she is a mom of four amazing children trey who's 21 nate who's 19 cat who's 15 and lucas who is six now in full disclosure aaron is one of my very best friends (laughs) we have such great conversations and so podcast listeners, I wanted to bring Erin to you so that you could see why she is such a dear, dear friend to me. She's incredibly brilliant. She has a mind that never stops and um, her creativity just oozes out. But it's this creativity that is always um, how she can help others, how she can serve others, how she can um, truly bring the the kingdom of heaven here on earth and serve her neighbors. I learn so much from her every time we have a conversation or even a text message because she's pretty amazing. Uh, So I'm so excited that you get to meet Erin, podcast friends. So I hope that you enjoy today's uh, episode. This is going to be part one of a two-part series. So tune in next week for part two, and you're not going to want to miss it. We have such a great conversation. Take a listen. Welcome, Erin. I'm so glad that you are on my podcast today. 
Thanks, Joy. It's great to be here. <laughs> I was gonna say that's where you respond. <laughs> Just kidding. As I like you, like now it's you. Yeah, you go and go. No, I was just saying how we're such good friends that I hope we're not too goofy. I hope I'm not too goofy. <laughs> we have such a fun time together. Uh, but anyway, I feel like I, that would that probably make like slightly better, more interesting podcast. Like we should probably have full disclosure at the beginning, like. P.S. Joy and I are best friends, so we know a lot about each other. We'll try really hard not to make this podcast all about our own inside jokes. Yes. <laughs> what she said. <laughs> you can edit a lot of this, right? No, no, I'm no, no, no. no, we're, this is going to, okay. Seriously, no. <laughs> Aaron, thank you. I'm glad you're here with me. And so we are talking all about the intersection of care and social justice. And I, of course, love the role and I love the role of Deacon. And also I love all my Deacon friends. And so I immediately thought of you to share with us, what is a Deacon? What is the history of the Deacon and all the Deacon things? I feel like this is one of my favorite things to talk about. <laughs> and you're good at it. <laughs> talk about it a lot. Yeah. <laughs> Do you want me to go ahead and jump in and, and yeah. answer those things? We're ready? Yeah. Okay. So yes, I am ordained deacon in the United Methodist Church. Like from the get-go, I think it's real helpful to just let's clear the air about the word deacon. Like deacon's a biblical word, but in so many denominations and faith traditions, it means really different things. And so when I'm talking about deacon, uh, my role, I'm really specifically talking about what does it mean to be ordained deacon in the United Methodist Church? Um, because I think that is its own special thing. And it gets real confusing once we get outside of UMC circles. So uh, a deacon in the United Methodist Church, uh, basically there are two branches of ordained clergy, your elders and your deacons. And it's hard to define one without talking about the other. So uh, elder is, um, that is the kind of ordained clergy people are most familiar with. It's the majority of ordained clergy. And those are your folks who are called to word and service, ordering the life of church, and sacramental authority. And those are also the people who are most likely to be senior pastors of churches. That's part of their call is to lead a church, um, among other things. I don't wanna to try to explain what an elder is. That's a different podcast. But a deacon, on the other hand, is um, we're called, we're also the clergy, also ordained, and we are called to word and service, just like our elder colleagues. So word means that we, we still preach and we teach and that's part of our calling, no matter our context. Uh, service, um, which also includes uh, assisting elders in the life of a church. Uh, we're called to ministries of compassion um, and mercy, as well as ministries of justice. And so that's where, not, not that elders can't care about those things. We've talked about this before. Elders also care about things <laughs> like social justice, but that is a real, the real heart of the call. So I'm not necessarily called to order the life of a church, but I am called to be in those circles of compassion and uh, also social justice. Uh, the fifth thing that deacons are called to is always having to explain what a deacon is. Um, <laughs> just that's because there are so few of us on it. Like sure. uh, deacons have been around, ordained deacons has been its own separate order of clergy since 1996 in the United Methodist Church, where basically they realized after many years of this being a real thing, 
that there were a class of people who felt called to ordination, but didn't feel called to or to leave a church necessarily. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it's also there, you know, deacons might be in specialized ministry, like music ministers or youth ministers, children's ministers, things like that. Um, but anyway, so since 1996, it's been this sort of separate order of clergy. We're peers. As far as becoming a deacon, the qualifications to become a deacon are just parallel, really, um, to what elders do. We went, we have um, go to seminary, um, have a master's degree. It doesn't have to necessarily be a master's of divinity. And then um, we go through the same credentialing process as far as orders, um, you know, going through ordination and provisional and uh, full ordination, kind of getting into the weeds of the process. But all of that to say, I have the same educational background and training as my elder colleagues, all deacons do. Um, and so I feel like um, sometimes that needs to be pointed out because we're not, mm -hmm. a, we're not a less than, but we are peers with our uh, elder colleagues. Mm -hmm. It's just a different mm -hmm. call. Sure. Um, yeah. I'm grateful that you pointed out that that there are parallel parallel tracks, parallel education requirements, and uh, the training requirements as well. I get the impression from talking to several of my deacon friends that perhaps there's this impression that elders sometimes cast that um that deacons are less than and Absolutely. do you want to speak a little bit about to if you've ever felt that way or if you have colleagues that have felt that way sure i think what's not helpful is the history prior to 1996 mm -hmm. in the united methodist alone people who were ordained uh they would be first they'd be ordained deacon then they would be ordained elder and mm -hmm. so there what there's a history of this term being used for what we call what we call now a provisional elder so it used to be a stepping stone to get up to elders first you went through mm -hmm. deacon then you were elder and so there are many who have been in this system for a really long time uh great colleagues of mine but they somewhere in their mind like oh yeah i've been ordained deacon before but it's totally different it's the same word but it means something totally different which is entirely unhelpful um, and you can, I can always tell where you should ask me, when do I feel less than, um, I'm real sensitive to whether or not deacons are included in conversations, but, sure. um, I also, um, and I, I, I can, you can tell like, it's sort of like, oh, an afterthought, like, oh yeah. And our, like, we'll talk about pastors. Oh, and deacons too. And it's, uh, yeah. Or, mm -hmm. you know, anyway, so, um, there's just a, I think a bias because, and to be fair, like 80, 90%. I mean, depending on your conference, are of your ordained clergy are going to be elders. That is the path most commonly taken. So there are not very many deacons, and we've only been in order for about twenty-five years. So there, um, there's just a lot of um, kind of road, I don't know roadblocks is the right word, but um, some barriers to being treated equally. And then I also I want to clarify in the history, and so 1996 when there was. Um, Correct me if I'm wrong, but there, the order of deacons they wanted this um, this change. It wasn't imposed upon them. Is that correct? Yeah, that's absolutely. No, in fact, for many many years before that, they have been. You know, there have been people who have been in a deacon role that have been fighting for ordination for deacons. They had uh, lay ministers. They had diaconal ministers. There were different things that were not fully ordained clergy, but were still in that same role. 
Um, and it's just this recognition that there are people who are called to ordination. So I still have reverend as my title. Um, I'm fully ordained, but they um, are not, again, it's a different call, not called to order the life of a church, not called to you know be your senior pastor. Um, and quite often, I think it's uh, maybe more for explaining what a deacon is. They're often described as uh, being a bridge ministry. And so uh, that bridge being with one foot in the door of the church and one foot in the world. And the call, uh, a big part of it is compassion and justice and mercy, but being this way to go back and forth. So like a practical way, how that would look in my ministry is I did, an, for years I led an art ministry at a homeless shelter where I would very intentionally bring people from my church across the bridge into the community uh, where we would serve at a shelter and be church in there. But I would never go by myself. It was always a bridge of bringing people from the church with me. Um, as a deacon, I may bring, I don't have sacramental authority, so I may bring an elder alongside with me into contexts where an elder might not ordinarily go on their own so they can administer sacraments. And so it is a bridge from church to the world, but then also world to the church. And so how can we connect people? And there's you know, people in my ministry area that I am their pastor, they'll never darken the door of our sanctuary, but I'm their pastor and they're people from our community in that way. Um, so much of the work I do, uh, my specific call is to missions. Much of my work is in the community um, as well as in the church. So it's, I think that's real helpful is that bridge metaphor. Yes, yes. And and I appreciate you sharing that. And, I, and that's where I think I'm inviting our listeners to really consider uh, how it is that, that the work of, uh, of the deacon is so vitally important. Um, and so I, I hope that our listeners, maybe they look around their own church to see, you know, do I, are there deacons here in this church? Um, or what about in the community, in the in the larger church, in the conference, and how are the how, how are the deacons doing this work in the community, and how can we learn from our deacon friends? Um, I've had Reverend Barbara Dunlap um, on the podcast several times. She's a deacon, and uh, and so our listeners, if they uh, remember her her interviews. She provides such great insight in, in the work that she's doing, which is a different um, passion area than, um, than, than what you have and, and what many others have, but this work is so vital. And that's where the intersection of care and social justice, you know, that it invites us to think, um, how are we doing the work of care? how are deacons involved in this work? How can we partner with deacons? How can we learn from deacons? And, and so that's why I'm, I'm glad that you can explain all of this <laughs> to us um, yeah, so well. I would say, backing on what you were saying, Joy, um, I think, I'm so glad you mentioned Barbara's ministry because I think when you are looking as a congregational leader, perhaps as an elder at your congregants, you have people within your congregation that are, that are called to ministry clearly. Some of them are called to ordained ministry, but they maybe have never had a vision of ordained ministry being something besides a senior pastor of a church. And yes, I, I, I'm yes. not called to be a senior 
senior pastor of a church, but I am called to a lifetime of ordained ministry. And so you can, with this idea of deacon, the ed more education about that is you can, deacons are, there's so much more than just being uh, working for a church. I haven't worked mm -hmm. for a church, but um, you know, Barbara's a great example. She's a deacon who runs her own nonprofit. That's a, a great field for a deacon to be in. We have deacons who are teachers, nurses. Um, uh, one of my favorite examples, we have a deacon who's a, in financial ministry. And so he mm -hmm. has an opportunity to work in finance, but also bring in that perspective of theological education. And so when you're working with, you know, finance, you can teach people about you know, how do we honor God with our finances, but you're doing this from the world, not from a pulpit. And I think there, you know, there's some real beauty of there's people in your church that are already called in already in ministry fields. So how can we bring about this idea of deacon to them where they can be in their if using their gifts, their talents that they already have, their passions that they already have. My call came from a call to youth ministry first. Not, and so, you know, how can we use the, the gifts that are already there, the interests that are already there, but then also show there may be an ordination path um, for, you know, for these individuals. Yeah. Yes. Thank you. So in regards to your own call, will you share a little bit more about that? Um, I think it will help people discern you know, maybe I'm feeling this call. And just to hear your story, maybe um, that will resonate with people. Sure. I don't know how long your podcasts are, Joyce. So I'm going to tell- <laughs> Take uh, as long as you story. want. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to tell a version of the story that's not the longest long version of the story, but I think, it, you know, enough to paint the picture. Um, so, you know, I, I mentioned that I started my call as a call to youth ministry specifically. My undergrad is in um, business economics. I paid my way through college doing sales. My first career was in sales. And so, but on the side, I started volunteering with my church's youth group. I was raised in the United Methodist tradition. And I started volunteering with the youth group. I was teaching Sunday school class for junior hires. Um, and then uh, as I was in this transition point where I thought I was gonna be a stay-at-home mom full-time, I was still doing all this youth ministry stuff as a volunteer. And in that season of you know discerning of you know, what am I gonna do with, you know, I have this sales career going on. Some really um, fun moments showed up. And looking back, I, I call these my call moments. But you know, one is I'm volunteering with the youth group and our deaf interpreter says, hey, Aaron, the, my church is looking for a part-time youth director. I think you'd be really great at that. You should apply. And, that, and I was, you know, I just kind of put that aside. But I did go to some volunteer youth ministry training 60 miles away from my home. There's like a job posting that shows up. And yeah, it's that same job that is part-time youth <laughs> you know, 60 miles away, but very close to my house. And then like a third time, someone mentioned, you know, that same position. So I was like, okay, God, like in, in a, a spirit of faithfulness, I just like, I, I didn't know I was going to be called to youth ministry, but I realized not everybody wanted to spend all their free time hanging out with junior high kids and that perhaps God was calling me in this direction. So I think like really not planned. I was in this position where I was filling out like a job application, re rewriting my resume to include things like Sunday school teacher, mm -hmm, <laughs> youth mm -hmm. volunteer, like things that I never thought would were resume material. Um, and you know, the long story short, yes, I ended up working uh, part time in youth ministry, and uh, that led to different, you know, probably a season of about a dozen years of working specifically in youth ministry. Uh, now, I think it's probably worth telling that part of my story is a little bit of pain and hurt from the church. 
Um, because often youth ministers, even if they're amazing, great, talented people, because of budget reasons, they might get let go from a church. And so even though it was a very painful season of my life, I did, have, you know, after about a dozen years of being in youth ministry, uh, got let go from a church position, which was incredibly painful um, for me personally. It really hurt my family to have their church home no longer be their church home. I can feel the emotion in my voice as I'm talking about it. Yeah. But that season opened up this time where I could do um, other youth ministry things totally for fun on my own for free. And I still continued to do work in that field um, for an organization called the Youth Worker Movement. But I also um, was able to serve as a mentor for a couple of weeks of intentional community for something called the Texas Youth Academy. And while I was at Texas Youth Academy, it's like this youth camp, it's two week youth camp. Uh, where all they, they talk about, like they bring in seminary professors and talk about deep theology, these amazing high school kids. And I realized in the, at Texas Youth Academy that I loved being in that community and that God was calling me to ordained ministry, which was a big surprise because I'd been hurt by the church. Um, but wow. um, yeah. So um, it was through those little moments of call that I, you know, then I applied for a seminary. That's where I met you was in seminary. I think probably maybe that first week there. And, um, but I wasn't called to, I wasn't called to lead a church. I think that was really important in that discerning of my own call. I recognize that churches can hurt people and that they're, you know, I joke sometimes that Jesus needs new uh, HR. And uh, I think <laughs> recognize, I recognize that there is some real brokenness in our system as a church. Sure. Uh, and I wanted to be in a space where I can speak about that brokenness, have authority at a table, but not be in a position where if I were to speak a little prophetically about brokenness, potentially step on some toes, that, I, that there'd be some sort of punitive um, consequence of my mm -hmm. speaking out against brokenness. Plus I wanted to be in a spot where I could work for change. And so um, Abby uh, Parker Herrera is a mentor of mine of sorts. She's a deacon in the Austin area. And she explained on her call to the deacon is you know, all of these committees in our big UMC church system have to have a deacon on them. Mm -hmm. There are not very many deacons. Mm -hmm. And so if you want to have a voice at a table where you can make a difference in shaping and be able to speak with some authority, but also a little bit of freedom, then ordained deacon is a great path for that. And so that's part of my call too, is I wanted to be in a space where I could really speak about the importance of clergy wellness, really speak about the brokenness in our system and how our system harms clergy um, and how we can be more effective in ministry if we have leaders coming from a spiritually healthy space. But I wanted to be able to say that from a space where I felt free to do it, right? And so, and it's, it actually is true. There are so many committees and do, uh, rooms I've been able to be part of. I'm on the board of ordained mm -hmm. ministry. I'm the chair of ordained deacons for our conference. Um, I've been on DCOMs, like all of these committees, because I have to have deacons and there aren't very many <laughs> of us. I've been able to be on some. And it's just, it really, it fits my soul to be in a space. I, in my local context, I work in missions. So I get to really help people. I get to interact with a community that is, uh, a demographic, many demographics that would probably not darken our church building and um, be Christ to them. So anyway, it's, that's why part of why I'm called to deacon is being able to be in that space. Did I answer your question? 
Yeah, no, absolutely. And so is there, can you think back even to your childhood, to your upbringing of where this passion for justice came from? Where, where was yeah. this still? <laughs> yeah, you asked that question and it just made me laugh a little bit because it, I, I told you the, my call story, but if you were to ask my spouse of almost 25 years, when was Aaron called to ordain ministry? Mm-hmm. Uh, he'd be quick to tell you, like, I don't know, sometime before we met. And so oh, wow. I was a little slow on the I was a little slow on the uptake. It took me about 15 sure. to 20 years to figure it out. But um uh so I, you know, I mentioned I was I was raised in a United Methodist context. I was, you know, my my grandmother um would have told you I was born Methodist. Um and so I was involved in my youth group growing up, but um I think the justice and compassion and especially the real heart for the marginalized started when I was, um, was really heightened when I was in college. I, uh, while I was a student at Baylor, I attended church under the bridge in Waco. That was my home church, uh, right when I was just getting its start. And mm-hmm. that meant I went to church every week with people who were, um, most of them, uh, many were without homes, some were college students, some were just members of the community, but it was people of every racial background you can imagine all of uh, educated in the street and educated in the university was one of the things we said often and um but what i learned in that space was just this beautiful kingdom of heaven image of what it might be like someday when all of god's humanity is mixed together no matter what we look like no matter what our background is but just worshiping side by side and so I think that lit a deep fire within me. Um, and also, I think all, I don't know, maybe it's just the way I've been wired. I think I've always had a heart for uh, like the kid that sits by themselves at the table. Like whoever, who's feeling left out, that's who I want to make sure that they feel like they can come in. Yeah. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. And so you have this burning desire and this passion and where God is calling you and then you experience you experience the hurt from the church and you have this what I see is this this vision of like this isn't the way that Jesus intended this to be and so I'm going to work for it to be different because it can be because you've seen that you've seen that at work um it's beautiful that is beautiful and I, I want to say just for our listeners, you mentioned like that you get to sit on these seats and I almost feel like in, in these different places within our conference. And I almost feel like you, you alluded to the fact of like, it was a default that there was no one else to do it. But I, I want to clarify, you are so gifted and talented and you are a real asset. Like, so I just, I just want to clarify that. Like, I felt like you kind of downplayed like, yeah, and a deacon has to be there and, and I'm glad to be there, but you are incredibly gifted, incredibly talented, and you bring this richness from working in the quote real world, because we both have this, um, we both have this in common that we understand what it's like, um, outside of the role of, of having our paycheck, um, be paid by the church. Like we get what the, quote, real working in the real world is. And so you bring all this richness and and realness and um, coupled with the unfortunate hurt and pain, and you you bring a a rich perspective that the church needs. And so I'm grateful for your time. And I think most people don't understand that these, you don't get paid to 
<laughs> to sit in these meetings. <laughs> this is right. time away from your family. This is additional time that you have, you still have work to do that you have to make up in the evenings and the weekends, you know, for, um, for your job. And so, so thank you um, for doing that. People don't realize all the, the work that goes in behind the scenes. Um, so I, I, I honor, I honor that work. Thanks for tuning in for today's episode. I hope that you found it informative. And of course, you can always find out additional resources and information on our website, thecaringcongregation.com. Please tune in next week as we continue our conversation. Uh, That'll be part two next Tuesday at 5 a.m. Also, we have registration that is open for our fall webinar, October 14th and 15th. You can register online, thecaringcongregation.com. Until then, may God bless you and keep you.